Welcome to NCBA's Cattleman's Call podcast with host Lane Nordland. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Cattleman's Call podcast. Lane Nordland, always happy to have you joining us here on the podcast. Joining us on the show today, answering that Cattleman's Call himself is Nebraska's very own Mike Drennan, calling in from Columbus, Nebraska today, uh, a feedlot owner and operator. And Mike, uh, how are things looking in the great state of Nebraska here at the end of this work week? We're all in agriculture, so there's never an end to a work week, but how's your day looking? You know what? It's looking really good. You know, harvest is coming along pretty well. Um, The high moisture pits are all done. Um, It's uh, we've been drier than normal than what we have for quite a while. But for a feed yard, I guess you you don't mind that. It's helped us get an awful lot of things done that, of course, we've had a lot of wet years here in the last two, three years. So it's been pretty nice weather. It's a little cooler right now, which is good. And and cattle sure seem to be doing well. That's that that's really good to hear. And, of course, it's pretty dry across mo- most of the nation. We're going to see what that La Nina weather pattern does here in the fall of 2020 and into 2021. But, you know, Mike, uh, as we mentioned, you're located there in Columbus, uh, Nebraska. Could, could you just maybe for our audience paint a picture? What, what does your operation look like? How was your family involved? And uh, how did you get your start in the feedlot business? And why do you stay in the feedlot business? <laughs> Well, sure, Lane, you'll sometimes I ask myself that question many times. Why do I stay? But it's uh, I guess I'll kind of talk about the start of it first. You know, it, it uh, my mom and dad, when my dad came back from the Navy, he started feeding some cattle and and he just kind of slowly worked himself up into the business. We put our first fence line bunks in in uh, the early mid 70s, I guess. But kind of when you go back where I was hooked with it is is really the the trip that he gave he, my dad took me to the Omaha stockyards and I'll never forget it. And I think at that point in time, I was pretty young. And at that point in time, I says, man, this is what I want to be part of. So that was kind of where it started. And, and, uh, obviously I grew up around it, fed cattle, had 4-H and, and showed steers that way. And, and was part of this and went a little stint in college and did got an associate's degree and came back to the feedlot and, and that's kind of where we started building from there. And and we built that capacity up at that feed yard in Columbus up to 3,500. And and as it grew and, and here as we got into the 2000s, when when my, my parents both retired and, and my wife and I, Beth, took over the operation, well, we, you know, we kind of expanded from there and, and had quite a few customers and we was always pretty full. So uh, here in 2009 and 10, we went ahead and leased a feed yard in Palmer, Nebraska. And when we acquired that feed yard, it it was able to have our oldest son, Sam, come back. Um, he was working for General Motors in Lincoln, and he was able to come back and manage that yard in Palmer. And our middle son, who who, who stayed with the feed yard, he just loved it, and he's kind of our farmer of the group. He became our uh, manager of the Columbus Yard. So um that yard in palmer's got capacity of ten thousand heads so it was a, a big move for our family and i'll tell you what it's worked out really well for us well i i'm just happy to hear that that uh two of your sons can be involved in the family business and and also look towards that next generation and just keeping uh the the business going and you know we, we kind of joked about it there just a, just a bit ago there uh, what what keeps you in the feedlot business you know i looked to my friend uh, uh bill rischel from nebraska and yeah. uh he was one of our first guests on this podcast and and i'm not quoting this exactly how he said it but he goes i'm just not brave enough to be a feedlot owner and uh, and those that know bill know exactly <laughs> how he would say that but what drives you what what keeps you you know turning on the light early in the morning putting your boots on and going out there knowing you could be losing money heading out the door that day but but know that you're playing a pivotal part in the cattle and beef industries well it's a good question lane and and you know you you uh you just do it every day and you don't think about it but when you ask that question i think it's just uh, the love of the livestock and it's just something a guy enjoys doing. You know, you like the different seasons. And, yeah, some are tougher than others, but it's all part of it. And I guess, you know, when you grew up around it 
and you could smell the, the the trucks coming in with full of those ball and calves and things like that. You know, it it just got in your blood, and that's really what kind of drives you to do this. And also, too, the main thing is it's for family, and and being our family operation and how we expanded, and it's been good for us, and that drives you every day. You want to be the very best you can. And with our feed yard and our operation where we commercial feed, um, you know, all of our customers are family to us. And, and so that's how we drive ourselves every day. And it's just something that we entirely love to do and, and uh, really enjoy it. Can I say every day? No. But I'll tell you what, it's still, it's still a good life. It's something good. There's a lot of good things that happen. There's some awful tough times, but it's something that I really enjoy doing. You know, we uh, obviously uh, COVID nineteen is just throwing everything into a salad spinner. We could describe it that way. We we just don't know what next month's going to bring in terms of uh, regulations or restrictions and whatnot. But you know, I I I, I never <clears throat> thought I'd be asking this question. You know, back in February when folks were at the cattle industry convention uh, down in San Antonio, Texas. You know how COVID nineteen impacted your operation. Well, being a feedlot operator that, that that was one of the the industries that really was hit in the livestock sector um are you comfortable talking about uh, what it was like kind of watching this this uh, virus come from overseas and and just uh, to where we are right now walk us through kind of what what happened on your end of it well yeah i'll tell you what it's something that obviously we've never seen before uh, most of us haven't you know if you go about all the way back to the Spanish flu pandemic that uh, there's not too many of us that live through that and can talk about it. But, but um, you know, I'll tell you what, it was, it was quite a, an experience, I guess, if you will. Um, we sat down as a group and, and, you know, and we talked about the different things and, and obviously with our marketing and things like that, you know, we, we do an awful lot of risk management and we do that for all of our customers as well as our cattle too. And so, you know, we felt comfortable where we was at there. But um, I'll tell you what, Lane, it became a deal where we decided, okay, let's be aggressive sellers um, in case we had some other issues. And um, we got along pretty good with that. And actually, you know, we got a little behind on some marketings probably in in the month of May. But uh, everything worked out pretty good. We stayed with it. Um, Obviously, the biggest hurt that we had there was – was uh, Cargill when they closed down, which is our closest plant in proximity to our yards. And, and so that made a big difference. But, you know, you go back and look at that whole time frame, and it's like I was at a, a meeting, a Zoom meeting, I guess. And, you know, it just, it, the comment that I made then was, is we never stopped selling cattle from when this really kind of broke in March and until really until July, early July, there wasn't hardly one day where we wasn't trying to sell cattle. And that was probably one of the oddest things that you've ever been through mm-hmm. is that you just constantly wanted to try to get your cattle moved. And obviously, you know, it, you know, for obvious reasons. And, and so we was, it was just an everyday job. And so that was probably one of the most difficult parts of that is just trying to get the cattle marketed and, you know, the Packers, you know, they was doing what they could to try to get as many in as they could and but you had different problems in different regions of the u.s and so just an awful lot of issues and and actually you know from on the marketing standpoint we felt pretty good we was in good shape by by early to mid-july and we felt real good there where we was at but you know there was a lot of areas it took till the end of august really so in other regions of of the u.s so you know and as you look back at it there really was, it just, it's, we never stopped. I mean, you think of all the things in the pandemic where people just, you know, stayed at home and, and, and all these other things in our business, we never stopped. I mean, the cattle needed to be fed every day. Um, we made sure our employees were safe. We went through all the protocols, but you know, it's probably been one of the busiest years that I've had in quite some time. It just, we just constant goes. So, and it's something that, you know, it's, uh, it's neat to be part of the critical essential. And that's something that we as cattlemen, that it, it means a lot to us because that is what we do. We provide that product of ours that goes out our gate and onto the chute, onto the trucks. 
and it goes to the harvest facilities so we can feed the world. And that's something that's really important to us, and that keeps you going every day. But, Mike, I appreciate you telling us all that hard work that went into to managing, taking care of the, those uh, cattle, uh, marketing, everything that went into that. What would the landscape look like in the cow-calf market if your hard work and making sure that the packers got reopened, I, it would be just be dire straits in the cattle market right now if so many different aspects of the industry wouldn't have come together to make sure that cattle kept moving? You know, it. Uh, if you look at that, I mean, you're exactly right, Lane. It would have been just, just uh, a, a colossal, uh, just horrible situation for everybody in the cattle industry. And, and I'll tell you, you know, it's, you look just in our state with our governor and he had called me early on and, and was mentioning some of the things that he was trying to do to keep our packing plants moving and things like that. And I know our packers, as you talked to them, they did a, you know, as good a job as what they thought they was doing early on, you know, trying to keep their employees safe. But, you know, it just, there's so many things that happened there and everybody's just trying to keep things moving um, was it all smooth every day? No, it wasn't. There was a lot of things that could be better, and it could be better on both ends, on the on our side and on the packing side. But we did get through this, and it's as you see now, Lane. You know what the prices with the calves and things that are bringing right now. It's been actually pretty darn good. So, it's if it wouldn't have happened, if that would have just been worse and worse and kept dragging on, um, it would have been highly detrimental to the calf prices and which would have been devastating to our cow-calf industry. And it wasn't very easy on the feedlot side, but it would have been horribly devastating when you got, you know, a lot of producers like yourself, you got one crop one year, and, and I'll tell you what, that's you take a, a, a greatly reduced price, and that's really tough on you. You mentioned that uh, uh, Pete Ricketts, your, your governor, had reached out to you, and it's Ricketts, correct? Yes, sir. <laughs> just wanted to yep. make sure that before I uh, broadcast that on the podcast. But uh, your governor, Pete Ricketts, reaching out to you. And, uh, you know, that that must be very fulfilling with, with the leadership that you've had in uh, the Nebraska Cattlemen and your work on the national level with the NCBA. Having, the, the, having a governor call you knowing that he has trust in your opinion and what you're experiencing, um, could, could you maybe just talk about yeah, your journey and being a leader within the cattle and beef industry and what uh, what that all came to, you know, receiving a call from the governor during a pandemic? <laughs> well, I guess it's, it's kind of a long tale, I suppose. You know, it just, you know, it started years ago and it was on part of the committees. I was membership chair of the cattlemen and, and then I was uh, chair and vice chair of the uh, environmental committee. And just kind of did some different things, was always active in the feedlot console and things like that. But um, then I was nominated to be an officer. And um, and that's really where you get pretty busy with everything. And and obviously, when you're when you start out there, it's you you just got your feet on the ground. But I'll tell you what, it's 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 a great experience and you get to meet an awful lot of people. And and probably one of the things is when I became a, a vice president. Um, our governor Ricketts took a, uh, a trade mission and it went to Europe that year and, and all the other, uh, part of the officer team, uh, could not make it. And so I was able to go to that. And so that was a great experience to get to know the governor, get to know who he is, what he is and, and what he stands for. And I'll tell you, you know, he understands the beef industry in this state. And as you know, agriculture in Nebraska is our number one industry. And of that, you know, beef is number one within there. And, you know, he told me from the get-go in a lot of those meetings we was at over in, in Europe is that, you know, you got to go to where the, where it is. And beef is where it is in this state. And, you know, we've got the beef state on our license plates and things like that. And, and that's something where, you know, just in that relationship to get to know him a little bit. And obviously, too, you know, he's he's a very, very personable person, but he's also very, very good working with all the ag organizations in this state. He realizes it's important and and he's done a great job with that. And I'll tell you, he's he's really it. it 
with all those things, I mean, I guess you just communicate with him quite a bit more. And so that's always a great opportunity as an officer and as you're going through the leadership in the cattlemen is to get to get to be able to understand and know your your elected leaders. And and um, did we agree on everything? Oh, heck no, we sure didn't. But you know what? We worked together and there was a lot of times we could agree to disagree. But um it was a great, great experience to get through that. And and then, too, you know, you had a lot of things that on our elected leaders in Washington and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, a guy could talk quite a while on a lot of those experiences, Lane. You know, you mentioned just having that uh, open door to have an open conversation. You can agree. You can disagree. What is maybe your advice to uh, producers tuning into the podcast that come from a big ag state, but maybe they don't have a governor or elected leaders that truly understand what they go through and the challenges that agriculture faces? Any tips for them just from your experience in leadership and lobbying and and, and learning all about the issues and and, and sharing those with elected officials? Sure, Lane. And, you know, it starts out with your associations, you know, and you have like your state associations and things like that. And, and, all of them, every one of them, you know, they know if the governor or any elected leaders is not as friendly to them or not, but you still try to work with them and you try to tell them your story. And so just because somebody doesn't, you know, always agree with everything you you have or you think maybe they're on the other side, you have to take that time and tell your story. I mean, they are our elected leaders, and that is probably one of the biggest things that I have noticed and especially with our association and Lane, I know it's with many, many other local state associations, what they do with their elected, lead, elected leaders. But you spend that time and you cultivate that relationship. And I think that's so well worth it. You know, spend some time with them, invite them out to your operations. And I've had that opportunity along with many other leaders before me and after me now. And I'll tell you, that's where it makes a difference. You just got to communicate with them. You don't close the door. You know, you're, we're not always going to agree on everything, but at least let them understand our side of the business. Because most times, most people don't have a fully uh, full understanding of what we go through on a day-to-day basis. So this is a great chance to sit up and, and with your leadership and your state associations and go out and talk to your elected leaders and tell them your story and work with them and try to uh, cultivate a relationship with them. And uh, you are, uh, I'm correct in saying this, you're the immediate past president of the Nebraska Cattlemen. Is that correct? Yes, that is, yeah. So when you look back on your time as a board of director member of the Nebraska Cattlemen as president-elect and, and president, what what are some of the greatest memories or accomplishments that, that you feel that you and your team and the Nebraska Cattlemen accomplished in that time period? Well, you know, Lane, it, it, it's a lot like this. When you become an officer – and you become into leadership, there's really not an agenda. It's because it's all grassroots driven. And there's a lot of things that happen within the committees and different things that people identify as issues that we need to take care of. And and that same thing happens in all the other state affiliates, you know, throughout the United States. And and so that's probably the big thing is you, you don't come in with an agenda and you just follow what your board and your membership um really are directing you to and so that's probably one of the greatest things of it and the most exciting things because you know it's a moving target a lot of things move and change as you go and so that's really what you know is probably one of the neatest things of of going through the leadership and things like that is is that you you're you're working you're basically you're representing the the nebraska cattlemen you're representing the ncba and and you're representing what policies and and directives that have been put forth by many, many people in committee rooms and with many discussions, people that are experts on some of these things. And so that's where you come up with some of these things. That's where you, you follow the policies and and what you're trying to do for your association. So. You know, you look at those things, and I'm extremely proud of those kind of things that we did throughout those years. Yes, is there many other things that happened? Obviously, 
you know, you have all these other issues um, that um, that you look at. But as far as us with the cattlemen, I've, I've always felt extremely pleased with our staff and what they've done and very, very fortunate to have such a bright, um, vibrant and just absolute just just great staff that are so professional and they know how to put you in the right place and say the right things. But they but they also do a lot of work behind the scenes. And so we've done that. We've cultivated a lot of friendships with with our elected leaders in Washington. And I'll tell you, that's been a great, great experience to be able to do, you know, with our senators and our our congressmen. And so and then obviously working closely with the NCBA. And so there's so many things there that that happen that that really it just makes me proud of some of the things that we as Nebraska cattlemen and there's been other state affiliates that have done great things too, that you come forth and you do it through your elected leaders in Washington. And so that was something I was awful pretty proud about in, in the number of years I was part of the leadership. And, and then obviously Lane, I guess, you, you know, you know, that the year that I had as president, that was obviously a, an extremely unfortunate tough year as far as with the flooding, you know, historic, flooding we had in Nebraska and, and, um, what I was really, you know, you just, you're humbled and you know, we, you just, and, and even now you just think about some of those things, you know, that all the fires in Oklahoma and then they set up relief funds and you have all these other things that, you know, with the, um, hurricanes and things in other States and, and cattlemen help each other out. But, Lane, it was just, it was unbelievable to really see it come back the other way with all these associations outside of Nebraska within a day or two calling and asking what could they do. And so probably one of the, the things that I felt is, you know, our staff went together and we set up a, uh, uh, a relief fund in, and we got it all done and got this, uh, 501c3 corporation put together and it was all done by you know gosh the floods happened on a wednesday and we signed papers on a monday and then the money started rolling in and that's probably one of the the neatest things and the proudest things you're able to say is that just people from all over the united states i think we had from 48 different states and two countries that gave money to that and it just unbelievable outpouring of support and i tell you it just tells you that we might be competitors in what we do we're looking at you know we're trying to get cattle to buy here at this sale or whatever it is but you know what we're all cattlemen and and we can all come together in the time of need and that was probably one of the the most you know neatest things i guess that i've seen is putting that together and the amount of money that we put into that fund and then later on as it got distributed out to the people that needed it no, I think that truly, whether we in the industry agree or disagree uh, on an issue or the climate uh, of, of the cattle markets or whatever ever it might be, it, it truly does show how uh, all of us with the rural uh, upbringing and, and uh, when the neighbor needs help, you need to go help them out. And whether that is a state away, a county away, um, I, I, it, it truly is emotional to, to see all the support that comes out. So that, um, you know, that is that is very fulfilling. And I, that's something that will continue for, for many years to come uh, when, when hard times or disaster happens. We hope it never yeah. does. But it's nice to have that resource there uh, to, to help others uh, in that time of need. So uh, hats off to you and your team for doing that. Well, thank you. And, and you know, you talk about these relationships and, uh, and and all of us being cattlemen. You know, the relationship that that you have with with your buyers or, or with uh, with the marketplace or, or with cow calf producers. In fact, you know that uh, that those are friendships and business relationships that that could be made over a transaction, over a beer on the Young Cattlemen's Conference. I know you attended that, <laughs> or, or just meeting yeah. meeting somebody at a sale yard or a convention on the state or national level. But but a question I have is how important is it for cow-calf producers or just anyone in the business, but cow-calf producers in general, to have a relationship with a feeder, to, to understand how they can improve their, their cattle, 
uh, whether that's through performance, genetics, uh, uh, better better grading. What, what what are some of the maybe examples you could share to, to help a producer, young or ex, young or experienced, really understand why uh, how important it is to to have a relationship with someone who buys their calves? Sure. No, and that's a great question, Lane. And I'll tell you, you know, there's been a lot of work done with that. And we've sat down and I've had the opportunity to sit down with our university leaders. And we've talked about some of those very same issues. And and you're exactly right. I, You know, I've always believed in the information back from the feedlot to the cow-calf producer. It's to help them as well. And I think that they need to be part of that, you know, of, of trying to research some of that information. And sometimes it's hard to get and things like that. But it's um, it's pretty important that you have that because if you look at what we're trying to do, you know, and that's the last part of where they're at and the shortest time period that um, that those cattle are 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 in somebody's hands is basically in the feed yard. And so, you know, you, you got to be efficient. And you have to produce things. And, and we look at sustainabilities. We look at all these other these issues that we talk about. And so the more efficiencies that you have and that becomes in the animal and it becomes with what we do at the feed yard and things like that, the least amount of carbon footprint that we that we have as a whole in the beef industry. And so that's a real important part. So when you go back to. You know, it's it's the last two people involved in this chain. You have the seed stock. You have some of these developments in here, which we've seen a number of, of great increases here in the genetics of the type of cattle. But I think that that final two people, the final sales there between the cow-calf and the feedlot, and, and then as we get those cattle, you know, we get them prepared for harvest, the, that's a real important part to have because, you know, they might – it might be shown like on the cow calf side. And I totally understand there's, there's maternal traits. There's things that are so greatly important, you know, to those ranchers. And, and there's certain types of animals that can do better on the type of soils that they have and the grasslands that those cattle can graze on. But when it boils down to it, you know, we look in the feed yard, you want great ability. You want the quality of that animal, but we don't want it to all go into the grade. I mean, it's good that we do, but we also have to have performance in the feed yard. And that's something that is certainly um, extremely important to us because that's where your cost of gains are the best. You know, the higher performing cattle, the better cost of gains you have. But you also want to try to hang that very best carcass out there as well. And so I think that there, there always should be a lot of communication between the feedlot and the cow-calf and then what we have as an ending result. And you look at that, whether it's uh, animal nutrition, uh, animal health, uh, from, from the time that calf is conceived all the way till your operation, uh, what, what are some, you know, ways that, that you maybe work with these maybe longtime uh, uh, producers that, that sell you cattle? What are some of the dialogues you've had over, over years with a uh, return uh, seller to your operation, just having that dialogue back and forth to make sure that, that you're getting the, the, the gain on your end that you need to make a profit, and they're making a profit as well? Right. And I'll tell you, it kind of starts a lot of times, and the easiest and the quickest way is is, is a partial retained ownership, and that's where a lot of it starts at first. Is is you know we'll get some cattle that we buy, and they and they work pretty well, and we try to relay that back to the you know the the producer themselves. You know what the cattle are doing, um, give them an idea of what could be better, what has been great, and so you know, and I think over time it becomes more of a financial decision too, as they build within the quality and the, and the, uh, the vigor of that animal. And the, and so to get more, more money out of that animal, sometimes the retained ownership side of that really works well. There's certain times that it doesn't lane. It really truly doesn't. And it just economically, it's just much, much better for the cow calf producer to just sell their calves and, and, you know, try to go through that way. But that's something that we try to work with on all of our producers is to try to show them the right way, you know, as far as monetarily, because that's a huge part of it. I mean, that's what it is. I mean, when it boils all down to it is profitability. But part of that 
that profitability comes from many things. It's the quality of the animal and all the things that they do on the ranch. You talk about their nutrition and the minerals and, and things that they do there. And then once we, you know, those calves are set up to have a great health program once they get into the feed yard. And so those are the kind of things that if you work together, um, the value of those animals comes up just because, you know, you have less issues as you go through. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, um, it's a, we all should be part of that. And I think it's, it's important, you know, to, to really understand what happens on the feeding side of it. You know, just uh, you, you mentioned sustainability and, and the environmental uh, aspects uh, of feeding cattle and how animal health and how animal nutrition also are a part of that same uh, pie. Uh, can, can you maybe just walk us through your animal health uh, regimen that w- when cattle hit the yards and uh, your pen riders or w- whatever it might be to make sure that those animals are taken care of and they're healthy during their time there in, in your facilities? Well, we prepare for the worst and hope for the best. I mean, it's, <laughs> but it's, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's like anything. It's, uh, you know, we've got a pretty good regimented program that we use with our consulting veterinarian, and uh, we follow that very close. And actually, our our veterinarian works extremely close with our nutritionists, and so everything that we do is is interlocked. Everything is intertwined. What we're trying to do, we're trying to get the nutrition into the animal. At the same time, we're trying to make sure that that animal's uh, system is working correctly as far as to provide for, you know, good um, uh, health in that animal and immunities and try to get that animal set up for the rest of the feeding period. So, yeah, you know, there's a lot of things that we do, you know, as far as our vaccine programs and we fine tune it um, literally every year. I mean, we just got done with a um, this past Monday at our at a, our Palmer yard. And a couple of weeks earlier, we did this in our Columbus yard, but we went through all the fall run things. We just went through all of our protocols, everything that we do, you know, long stem hay usage to the calves and, and things like that. And we went through this whole process with all of our employees. So everybody understands it. So, you know, we, we really stress that the feed truck drivers understand the health is just as much, if not more, than the Cowboys. And the Cowboys understand what the feed truck is doing with the nutrition. And so we work together on a lot of those things. That's one thing that we really stress in our operations is to work together and that communication back and forth between the bunker eater and the feed truck drivers and and the pen checkers. So that's a big part of our operation, and I think it's done really well for us. Obviously, BQA would be a part of that as well. Oh, most certainly. And I'll tell you, that's been a really good program. And and obviously, we've taken all of our employees through that, and we're all BQA certified. And I think that's something that's been really good. And I'll tell you, we're real fortunate, too, that with our our consulting veterinarian, he spends a lot of time on each visit that he comes out monthly and just looking at animal movements, just different things that we're doing, making sure that that we're treating the animal the right way, trying to move it the right way. And so it's a lot more than just a nutrition. It's, 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 it goes back into the BQA and all these things that we do. And I'll tell you, that's something Lane that we're pretty proud of. And and we're, we really appreciate that from our consulting veterinarian and being able to do that. And, and the same thing with our nutritionists, they're part of that as well. And everything that we're doing within our micro machines and everything else. So it's um, it's really been a great program, and it's something that that uh, we're extremely proud that we're part of that. Now, Mike, I know you probably can't put an exact dollar amount on how sending your employees or yourself through the BQA pro- program, Beef Quality Assurance, for our listeners that aren't, aren't uh, familiar with that acronym. But maybe in the terms of, of time that, that's put into to, uh, a daily task or whatever, how beneficial monetarily or time-wise do you think BQA is per employee or per task or what, whatever it might be in the feedlot? Well, you know, Lane, it's really hard to put an actual dollar figure on that. Um, we look at when it first and foremost, when it starts out with BQA, you know, when you're handling things safely and you're handling the animal with care 
and you're also handling the, the animal with less stress. And that produces less stress on the employees. So there's many other beneficial things that happen within this whole thing. And and as I've said in, in all the years and, and trying to teach our sons, you know, different things of managing a feed yard, I've mentioned to them many, many times, it's the little things that count. And in a feed yard, that's what it is. It's all the little things that count. And I tell you that the people, I think all your people that are out there that are working with us day in, day out, I think they really see that. And that's something that we really stress that all these little things, I mean, they make a difference in the end, you know, and you can, and you really, you know, is it, can you show them dollars and cents every day? No, but we know that all the little things can add pennies or, or whatever it is, a cent or two and cents per head per day, which is a huge thing for a feedlot. And so we put all those things together and just the different efficiencies and, you know, all the little things compile and they make something that's really, really good. And, and so that's what we're about. And I think that's where it makes a huge difference of the different things that we do and the efficiencies that we have. And it could be one less workers comp. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's the last thing you want to see is anybody get hurt. Exactly. And I'll tell you, I just, and that's something that I've told all the guys, you know, and you get animals that are just plain, you know, they don't want to be moved. And so we just tell them, listen, you got to walk away. And um, because we don't want to see you get hurt. I don't want to make a phone call to your, to your wife that you got a broken leg or something happened or things like that. And so, you know, work comp is something that, you know, we carry for all of our employees, but, and it's for their benefit and for our protection as well. But I tell you, it's, it's more important that nobody gets hurt. And that's probably one of the big things that we really try to stress is just being safe with it. And then we try to, you know, we spend a lot of time um, making sure that our facilities are safe. Yeah. Does it cost some money at times? Yep. It sure does. But there's different ways of handling cattle that you can be a lot safer. And we have invested that money and you know what lane, there's more things we can invest in that yet too. And, and we will, because it is, you know, the employees, the safety of the employee is the first thing. I mean, it really is. And we're, we're talking about employees and labor. Um, just like many operations, I'm assuming that's probably one of your biggest issues is is labor and finding help and being able to pay them a living wage. Uh, uh, Can you talk about that aspect of your business? Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, it has been, you know, it's been tough and it's been tough to try to find people. And, you know, it's 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 not the glorious of jobs, you know, when it's, you know, it's 40 degrees and you got to rain out there and you're trying to check cattle not the most comfortable time in the in the year to be doing that but you know you you try to make sure that we've got you know you take care of your employees number one and yes you know you know you have to pay them more and that's something that we've probably seen a lot of and in my last few years with the cattlemen i explained to our elected leaders that you know our payrolls have gone up you know you know fairly significantly you know just to uh you know, make sure that our employees are compensated well for what they do. And, and so, yeah, there's a lot of things we do. Um, you know, we uh, have uh, got a really good crew right now. And we've got some people that, that just um, really like what they do and they do a great job for us. Well, you know, uh, so much goes into a feedlot. And you mentioned your one son is almost the farming guru uh, in the family there. But uh you know, that's some some people in the business maybe don't think about that that farming aspect of it and in, 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 in the corn crop. And let's just talk. How has uh, agriculture technology in plant science and different varieties? How has that changed the way that you all farm and raise a row crop in your country to to be able to have a viable feed? How, how has that changed over the decades and really changed uh, your, your the way you operate? Well, quite substantially. I mean, especially on the farming side of it. And yes, there's there's a lot of things on the feedlot side that have, you know, there's there's different technologies that are coming. Um, Some of them are, 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 you know, fairly expensive that it's hard to put some of those in place. But but it's um, you know, there's some technologies out there. But I'll tell you, you can look into the 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 farming side of it. And, you know, just what the things that we've done with the corn planter 
and and then within the seeds and 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 what they've done in the seed industry with with these plants i mean it's just unbelievable i mean it's just unbelievable where you can see what just in the seed what it is and what these plants can do and how they take up the nutrition and maybe a more efficient manners and things like that but you know i kind of laugh it you look at the technologies of just the most important thing you do every year is in planting and all these things that you put on the planter, like the east sets and you got you know all these uh, uh you know electric drives hydraulic down pressures and things and and i know when uh, my son came to me with uh proposal to put all these things on the planter i mean it it puts you in shock i mean for the <laughs> amount of money that it was i mean but he kept telling me he said dad it pays and i'll tell you what lane it, it has paid off it is just unbelievable what you can do in that corn planter today and that's probably been one of the biggest things that i have seen because when he put in all these these certain when we made it a major upgrade on that corn planter and you had the, you know, automatic hydraulic pressures and things like that. After I went behind the corn planter and looked at what it was doing in, in different types of soils, it just, you just scratched your head. You're just thinking, man, I didn't realize I was doing it that bad for that long. But it's just amazing what it can do. And your, you know, your seed spacing is is just almost like 99.9%. And so there's so many things that are going on there. It's just unbelievable. That's probably been... In the last five to 10, 10 years, I, it's just been unbelievable what I've seen in that, the, some of the gains in that part of it. You know, you bring up uh, uh, the, the corn and, you know, your work with the Nebraska Cattlemen and with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. But uh, how about just the collaboration between, say, the Nebraska Cattlemen and the corn growers in your oh, state sure. and then also with the National Corn Growers Association? How does that benefit you from all the issues that impact a cropping system to the livestock end of it? Uh, you've had to work, I, I'm assuming, again, that you've had some, some close relationships with uh, these multiple groups, all to the benefit uh, to, to your operation. Oh, most definitely. And just recently at our feed yard, we had uh, um, a Cattleman the Cattleman was out there yep. and it's on sustainable, sustainability. And obviously the corn board was there and we was all there and we're all part of the U.S. Uh, round table for sustainable beef. And so that's something that we all work together because we know, I mean, we know that it takes each and every one of us to try to make this work. And, and so, yes, there's been a lot of things that we've done together and we've worked very closely with a lot of the, you know, in our state and then on the national side of it with different things that you work through. And so, yes, and even with the soybean board. So, you know, we realize that it's all part of that sustainability. We all kind of help each other out. And if you look at, you know, our byproduct that comes out of our feedlot, um, it'll, you know, provide optimal nutrients for the corn crop. And so we have many customers of our own that we buy a lot of corn from and uh, and they turn around and haul our byproduct out and fertilize that very same soil. And it's really done extremely well for them and it helps and works with us. And so it's been very, very beneficial. So it's, you know, it's just kind of a big circle and it just keeps going around all the time and we help each other out. And so a lot of those those big efficiencies have happened there. And that's something that, you know, I've just being involved with this U.S. Roundtable for sustainable beef, you know, you always knew it was going on, Lane. And if I could talk about that for just a little bit. No, definitely. It's, I'll tell you what, I've really learned from that. You know, just the first part of the involvement to where I am now, we do have a story to tell. And it's a dang good story. And the things that we're doing, um, it's something that we do every day. And we didn't, you know, I suppose you could look at it is, is that we don't even think twice of why we're doing it. You know, we just do it. And it's, it's part of our efficiencies. But as we sit and look at what we do, yes, it, it is part of that sustainability. And so it's very important that we tell our story and let the people know. And I've also had the opportunity to have that group, you know, as far as McDonald's and the Walmarts and, and them out at our feed yard and try to explain that story. And, that is what is key. I think you just have to explain where you're at so they can understand because, you know, they just don't. And it's no disrespect to them whatsoever. 
They just haven't been around that. And for them to come out to your operations and have that opportunity to to see what you do, how you do it, and why you do it, and to better understand what you're doing, I think that's a great, great communication that we can have. And and the more we can do of that, it's the better we can. And so it's been a great experience, to be honest with you. And it it's really kind of told me, it says, man, you really have to tell your story. And j- jumping into that conversation of, you know, I, I know uh, when, when we look at the roundtable uh, and uh, its initiatives, uh, a conversation always comes up around grass-fed versus corn-fed. And I mm-hmm. will never disparage a producer, no matter what they raise, because they're working their tail end off to to raise, whether it's a, a, a grass-fed or a corn-fed. Um, personally, I, I prefer a, a nice grain-finished uh, <laughs> <a> beef. <laughs> But how do you say in a conversation with someone that isn't in agriculture, how do you have that conversation, uh, especially on the environmental end of it, d- describing a, uh, a grain finished, a fedlot finished a beef versus a grass fed uh, beef mm-hmm. and not disparage uh, one another? How, how would you do that? Well, I'm going to tell you, Lane, part of that is that there's always an opportunity. There's always any kind of it for a niche market and there's going to be some grass-fed uh beef out there and it's a niche market that works well for people they've got that type of resource within their grass that that the cattle are pretty darn efficient with and with the type of genetics they're trying to raise it works out well for them um is it that much better than than grain fed as far as the the carbon footprint you can say that and the studies have shown where there's less of a footprint as far as going through a grain finished diet. But like I say, it's still, it's a niche market and it works for different areas. I mean, if you was to some areas where some of this grass has got such a, a, you know, the nutritional values to it that are just phenomenal that, you know, you're, you're trying to use some of those types of things. You're, you're, you're not comparing it, I guess the right way. And I guess in my mind, if you look at it, you look at some of this this grass-fed beef in certain parts of our of our United States. I mean, it's it's really fairly efficient for that type of finishing of an animal. And so, if you looked at it through all the grass types, it's a lot harder. So, you know, there's it's still there's little niches there, and I think things can work for each producer. But um, you know, we're all trying to do the same thing, and it's to sell beef. And that's where uh, we're still cattlemen and we're trying to sell beef. And there's, you know, there's just, you know, we can always have those type of niche markets. And uh, we, uh, you know, expanding on the niche market aspect of it, we're seeing, especially with COVID, a lot of producers that, that uh, I'm going to use ex- Montana, all of our listeners, like always oh, talking about Montana again. Well, that's what I know. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but not only here, but in conversations we've had on this podcast with meat shop owners, butchers, and, and other producers that are doing, say, a direct-to-consumer market, um, you, you know, that, that that is a great niche market. And so my question is, is, in looking ahead, how do producers utilize possibly having their beef stay part of their beef herd staying local and getting processed? And how, how do they continue to work with, with feedlot operators like yourself? How, how do you envision the consumer buying trend? How, how do you look at that in, in the future and plan for your business and collaborate across m- multiple sectors here down the road with just uh, that direct consumer market and then also just uh, uh, um, the, the business you're in as well? Sure. No, you know, and I think that the direct to the consumer market, obviously, and as you, you know, you touched upon this um, with this pandemic, I mean, there's been a great demand for that. I mean, um, as you know, you know, the people with the, you couldn't hardly buy a freezer anywhere and people were buying meat and, and now they want to go directly to the producer. I think that's done a good thing in that respect itself is that they see what the producer, you know, they, they can go to the producer themselves and say, and really kind of see what we're doing with our animals and how we're, you know, we're growing them and producing that type of animal. So it gives a little closer connect between the consumer and the actual producer. And as you know, that, you know, it's as, as our, as we grow in this world and things like that, more and more people are removed from agriculture. 
And I think that does a lot of help to bring that back closer to ag people that haven't been there and they've seen some of the great benefits. So yes, I think that's a big part of it. And there's been, I mean, you, if you had to make an appointment today for, you know, an animal like that, it would take you a year to get in there. And so that's probably one of the biggest things right there is the hurdles you have to go through is, is have enough of these producers and, or actually these, these uh, processors to try to put that meat back in the consumer's hands. And so, you know, those are some things that we have to work on there. And there's been some different um, areas they've talked about as far as, you know, state meat inspections and things like that, just to try to expedite that process the best that they can. So I think that's been a really good thing there. And I think it can be an expansion of that. And and as I talked about before, it's every little thing that counts. I mean, it just, you know, we, we lost a lot of our HRI trade and a lot of that was replaced with with retail but you know now as you look at the consumers maybe they're eating a few more meals at home now and they're trying to buy more farm direct and things like that i think that's helping a little bit and it's got some positives that we can you work with that hopefully you know that we can use in the future as we go and maybe it has changed and you know as far as what our consumer is doing you know are they cooking more at home or or are they going out to get it and obviously with this pandemic people have been cooking more at home and and that's where the beef consoles have have done a tremendous job of of getting recipes out there and trying to help people you know show them the easiest way of of cooking something and you know different cuts of meat so i think that's been a huge part of this and and i think it can really help us down the road it's just another niche to it and and people that have done that, it's worked out really well for them. And they've got a waiting list of, of customers out there wanting to get some of that delicious beef. Oh, and that's right. I think that's the best way to describe it. Delicious beef, nutritious beef, and uh, a great resource. Uh, uh, Chuck knows beef uh, through through uh, the, the checkoff <laughs> funding. You can just literally say, ask uh, your uh, smart device, uh, Chuck, how do you cook this? And, and I really, yeah, it's it helps us that are a little more uh, cooking inept, I can tell you that. <laughs> you bet. <laughs> but, hey, you know, the fall run is on. We just shipped calves yesterday. They're, they're actually heading on down to Iowa. Sorry, they're not heading to Nebraska, but uh, uh, <laughs> well, maybe we'll talk next next summer. Um, yeah, there you go. <laughs> but um, you know, as we look to this fall run of calves um, from from this North Country heading down to the Midwest and uh, and whatnot, what what is your feeling as we look at this herd expansion start to plateau and, and go down a little bit? That's what the experts are saying. So that that's not. I'm hoping that's the case. What 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 are you envisioning? Do you want to look into your crystal ball and or maybe that to magic eight ball and, and, and shake it a little bit and you know see what that that answer is going to be but what are you feeling for 2021 maybe 2022 uh if covid goes away i i know that's always going to be the factor but but how are you feeling about the next few years in feedlot country well you know i think it's you know you go back to a lot of things that, and we talked about this just a little bit before as far as on the marketing side of it and um you know, right now there's there's a lot of things that that a lot of people have sat down and it's shown the the true democracy of a lot of producers working together and trying to find the best way and looking at ways that that we can get um, a little more share of that cutability on that animal. And you know, you look back and and what we've seen where that disconnect happened is is after we lost a couple packing plants and. And that's where we had that major rebuild of our herd after the drought years. And so, you know, now we've got a big herd. We've got a lot of bunk space. Um, but then our packing capacity is can't quite um, necessarily handle it all. And so there's a little bit of a, you know, the funnel into that is just a little tight. And so, you know, if you have a little bit of a reduction in the herd, um, that can help to a certain point, but you also have a lot of bunk space. So there's a lot of things that we've got to look at here in the next couple of years. And there's not one of them that is going to be um, very um, easy to obtain. I think um, we're going to have to be very careful about what we do as we move forward. I think a person, you know, I think it's, there's some possibility for profitability but you're going to have to look at a lot of things. I think that risk management is a big tool 
that we have to be part of because we've just went through uh, two major black swan events here in the cattle industry. And there's been a tremendous amount of equity drained from those. And, and if you use a lot of risk management, I think that's something that obviously that can take um, a lot of that risk away. But um, that's what I kind of see as we move forward here. You know, where do we position ourselves? You know, how do we um, continue to enhance how we as producers market our cattle? Um, what can we do to to get a little better share of that, that cutability on our animal that we take to the packing house? And how can we get a better price, you know, for that? And I'll tell you, you know, a lot of those things um, that we've done it, it boils, it, it trickles right down to the cow-calf producers. So the best price we can get, they ended up, what we can do as far as our side on the marketing side is it relays directly back to a better price for those calves that we purchase. So, you know, that's a big part of it. But is it going to be easy? I don't see that. I mean, it's just, it's going to be some tougher times here as we move forward and as we kind of position ourselves. But I think it's possible. I think there's a lot of things that we can do as we move forward. And there's a lot of these producers and a lot of these associations that, that I feel extremely important we need to be part of. And we got to continue to sit down and work together and look at this future because it's about our, our families and it's about the next generation. And so that's where we have to work extremely hard in and making sure that we have this a viable industry for all these producers out there in our next generation as well. So very true. And, and Mike, um, so many, we're, we're, we're in the livestock business. Nothing is ever going to come easy. I, I'm glad you brought that up. And, and just uh, as we look ahead, it, it, we all have to work together on this to, to find solutions to, to uh, issues that Washington, D.C. creates and uh, just issues that come about, say, COVID-19. We all have to uh, come together and, and work to make sure that that next generation can stay on the operation. Mike, we've been talking just close to an hour, and I know I don't want to take too much of your time up here today but <laughs> anything else that you would just uh, a tip that you have to to anyone in the cattle industry uh, just a tip uh, maybe a joke anything that you want to say i'll give you the floor and, and let you let you share your thoughts <laughs> well thanks lane i guess you know you think about that and uh, and probably the first thing is just being involved in your industry i think that's very important um we've learned from a lot of my parents and and, you know, a lot of these people that are involved today, their parents were involved in the industry, you know, through NCBA and their state affiliates and things like that, and your local organizations. And I think that's, that's pretty key. I think that involvement has to be, um, you know, it's, as we talked about it before, there's more and more people have become more and more removed from agriculture. And so it's very important that we tell our story. And I think that's equally important for our, our youth that are coming up now is to show them the involvement in your industries that you're heavily involved with. And as we're talking about the beef industry, you know, that's what, you know, our family is, is heavily involved with. I think that's extremely important that we keep that up and we continue to try to strive through that and, and use the knowledge and wisdom that's there from people that have been around there for quite a while and then try to incorporate that with some of these, you know, the younger ideas and thoughts and some of these brilliant minds that are coming up into our industry today. And I think we can we can always make some positive moves forward. And I think the other part of it is to is is never be afraid to use people that that can help in your industry. Surround yourself by good people, and I guess is really what I call it. I mean, you we have a risk management company that we work with and I tell you, they're very good people and they do a great job for us. And as well as our nutritionists and our, our veterinarians and, and our, and it goes down to our accountants and everything else. And so you surround yourself by these good people and it really helps help your, your operations um, continue to thrive and hopefully be successful for the next generations and years to come. Well, very well said, Mike Drennan from Nebraska. Hey, thank you so much for, for sharing your story, giving some insight on on your end of the business, and just giving some great advice that I know our listeners uh, uh, truly appreciate. Mike, thank you so much for joining us here on the Cattleman's Call. 
Well, you bet, Lane, and I sure appreciate it, too. I really enjoyed it. Well, thank you once again, Mike Drennan. We look forward to seeing you down the road at hopefully one of these meetings that COVID isn't going to cancel, but whatnot. We, we just don't know what COVID has in store, but I, I look forward to seeing you down the road at a cattle industry event. But for our friends uh, tuning in, thanks for choosing the Cattleman's Call podcast. Subscribe if you haven't. If not, uh, make sure and find that subscribe button on your podcast listening device. I'm my Nordland. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for tuning in to NCBA's Cattleman's Call podcast with Lane Nordland. For more information, visit ncba.org and make sure to subscribe to the podcast today.